just so I know, how do you pronounce your name? My name is Brecht in my language. It is terribly hard in another language. My girlfriend is French and even for her parents it was like, yeah, too complicated, I'm going to call you Shrek. Welcome to the show. You're a developer advocate at Forna. So why don't we start by telling us a little bit about Forna and the role you do there. Forna is basically a cloud database, a distributed multi-region cloud database. So it tries to be very similar to like Spanner or Firebase or Firestore, yet with a quite different focus. It focuses on trying to be an API and offer the best developer experience possible. It's something in between SQL and NoSQL. It's actually the scalability with developer experience features. And at the same time, you get to keep the relations and strong consistency that you like from, let's say, a Postgres database. It's also multimodal. It's essentially a document database, yet you get to keep the relations. So it's a bit confusing for many people, but it borrows from a lot of different kinds of databases and brings all these good things together in one database. Without talking about Fauna first, what would you describe as a database? Yeah, that's already a tricky question because we say the database is becoming an API. I would say that something that is a database is something where you want to store your application logic and that something should be generic enough so that you can decide on how that application model looks exactly. And that's where I think it differentiates from a CMS, where a CMS is typically opinionated and you're going to provide certain data types. Okay, there might be custom data types, but the database is good at storing all those very small details and gluing them together so you can query them as flexible as possible. Things like that, I would say, is a database. How I look at a database, I... I'm a generalist. I would like my database to be as abstract as possible. I just feed data to it and read data out of it. I don't care about everything else. And I know that's sacrilege to some people. But me personally, you have to generalize. That's where if you're looking at a Postgres database, you then bring in an ORM, an object relational model, object relational mapper. Yeah, indeed. It's a mapper. It maps your objects to your relations, yeah. Exactly. When we talk about your typical MySQL database, you normally have an ORM to make it easy to talk and receive information from the database. Fauna is something slightly different. Like you said, it's more of an API. Fauna, to what I understand, and I'd admit, I keep getting told to look at it, look at it, look at it, but I've not got around to it yet. It's more of an API you can just receive and give data to. I would actually like to hook into a few things you said. Like if you want to store data and get data out of it, you said, I actually don't care. Then I'm super interested in what parts you don't care about because there are so many things that might go wrong. Maybe that API is just storing your data in a CSV, which will obviously go wrong at a certain moment. I'm wondering what you don't care about, what you do care about. And the other thing is like, yeah, you might typically use an ORM, 
And that's something that's interesting that you say that because a lot of people actually run into problems using ORMs because the way an object works is typically you have an object that has linked to multiple objects. When you get this data, you actually traverse a tree, which is actually completely different than how SQL joins work. They just join sets. They don't traverse a tree. And the tree traversal problem is actually something that's extremely difficult to solve in a regular SQL database, which is why they invented graph databases. And the cool thing is Fauna is actually super good at that problem as well. This actually had borrows a bit of IDs from the graph databases as well. Whereas that if you would do a join in Fauna, you would actually get an object, then start mapping over, let's say, all references that link to that object and then get those and then start mapping over these, get those, which is very similar to GraphQL, actually. It might be a good idea to abstract away from the database because essentially what we want is productivity. It's too complex and we just want to go fast. But maybe an ORM is not the perfect tool to do that because first the database has to map on that problem well. To hook into what you said about what I do or don't care about, no matter what you pick, it does store the data at the end of the day. So what are you focusing on? Speed, complexity, MySQL or NoSQL? I'm the only developer in my startup at this current stage. When you're one person, you start to think, what can I do by myself? What can I let a computer do for me? Prisma 2 is a very big thing that's building, but it only works in MySQL databases. Or is it just SQL databases? SQL databases, so it's MySQL, Postgres, SQLite, and then stuff like Aurora, which is like a flavor of MySQL. When we talk about developing, what comes first? Is it developer experience? Or is it how well it performs the bigger the database gets? How easy it is to back up? How easy is it to export the data? When you're just one person, you need to move fast. Most FSJAM projects already include Prisma 2. You tend not to look anywhere else. There are multiple things in here. The first thing I would actually say is it's not only if you're working alone that you want to move fast. I do think that a lot of teams want to move fast as well. And I would, to be honest, be stoked if there would be a driver that actually Prisma would work on top of Fauna. And I think Fauna would be an ideal match if you get the choice between I run Prisma, so the way I interact with the database is the same, and then you get the choice between a scalable database that scales as you go, and the database where I have to set up a lot of things, and that doesn't scale, yeah, then the choice is probably easy. And I think in the future we will see a Prisma driver at a certain point. Now, what you said about developer experience, I think that databases have been ignoring developer experience for a long, long time. And I think that has to change at a certain moment with how the architectures of applications are evolving. For example, if you start building serverless applications, then you might want to interact with these databases right from the serverless application. Connection problems because the, there's a limit on the amount of connections. And that's when we go back at have database and an API, then you don't have that problem because we basically don't open a specific connection. Instead, you're accessing the database as if it's an API, so there's no limit on that amount of connection. We are seeing that multiple types of databases are actually, let's say that the difference between different types of databases is actually fading out. 
let's say, for example, Postgres is trying to start providing JSON types. Other databases that used to be purely NoSQL and were strong advocates of eventual consistency are now providing consistency features and transactions. And I do think that in the future, a database will be something where you have the choice. And that's something you already see in Fauna. So it's a document database. You can have nested documents in there. You can have arrays in there. But we don't tell you that that's the way you have to do it. And you have to do complex workarounds to be able to work around the fact of not having relations. We just also provide relations. It's up to you. If you want to use relations and normalize your data, that's great. If you want to put everything in a document because you're going to fetch that document as a whole, that's something you can do. Fauna is strongly in the NoSQL. It depends on the definition, to be honest. <laughs> because many people say NoSQL and NoSQL is basically no consistency, no relations, scalability, and schemaless. I think only the schemaless is true there. So depends on who you ask. We have to separate between what it means for something to be SQL and what it means for something to be relational. I think this is the thing that most people confuse, is that SQL is a specific query language that is used to query data that is in a relational form. So you can have relational data and query it in a different way. And this is something that is commonly talked about with something like DynamoDB. DynamoDB is not a SQL database, but you can still model it in a relational way, because for something to be relational it has to do with relational algebra. It's a mathematical constraint. It's actually funny because I recently saw a talk from Martin Fowler on exactly this. And what he said is that the NoSQL term came from a meeting with databases that were not SQL. And the only thing it meant to be at that point was a Twitter hashtag to promote that meeting. After it, people took that hashtag as the new breed of databases, which was not the intention. And when he is asked, can you define NoSQL? He says, no, but we can say, typically a database might have this. But for example, graph databases have relations. So it doesn't already doesn't make sense to say it's no relational. I'm going to maybe regret this statement, but in my head, how I imagine SQL, SQL, is like Excel, as you can have multiple tables that are very defined structure. NoSQL is kind of like a JSON object. I know it's a lot more than that, but I don't get how referencing works and relations works between SQL and NoSQL, for example. Do you duplicate the content or do you just point it in a different place? Well, that depends on the database. And that depends on what features you actually provide. You are right to say like, okay, a SQL database is more like a spreadsheet with multiple tables that have links between them. Let's say the other one alternative would then be JSONs, which don't have links to each other, which you could refer to as maybe those are document databases. It's a good analogy. Well, let's put those JSON documents in the Excel and then you have a document database that has relations. I mean, that really depends on how you do it. And if you do have a document database and in the beginning, a lot of document databases didn't provide relations because it actually defeats their purpose. They wanted to provide the document exactly in the format that you're going to query it, which of course becomes a problem if you change that ID and suddenly you want to query it differently. If you do provide relations, then you get the best of both worlds and you get the option to actually choose, am I going to store this document exactly in the way that UI needs this or am, am I going to normalize and then just link this data? 
together, which is essentially a choice and a trade-off. I am going to choose whether I'm going to do compute at the moment I query, or I am going to give up my flexibility of storing or retrieving the object in a different manner. Databases are such a hard concept for some people to understand. I'm one of them, I admit. My brain just doesn't think that way. But you could say, I could build a database by an API that would basically make four files, each one be a different JSON array. You'd push the API, the API would go, I need to write that to file one. You call the API and it goes, I need to go to file one, find the object and then return it. That's the core principles of a more no SQL database. Very oversimplified. If you make it slightly more advanced version of that simplified concept, then there might be APIs out there which actually store your data that way and present themselves as a database. So you're right that it really is hard to know what a database is actually doing behind the scene and what, what the difference is between database A and database B. And of course, there are lots of optimizations you can do there. And that actually makes a difference between are you going to fail when you write something or in the long run when you have too many files and maybe your file system breaks or you have to incorporate multiple servers. How are you going to index everything? So you have to cut up everything in small bits so you can index that. And I actually wrote a complete series about why is it important to choose the database in the beginning of your project and not just take any database because what you said a while back when we were talking you said for me uh, yeah all of these these databases work what does it matter which one i pick and i actually heard exactly the same thing at a very very famous podcast a while back syntax fm which you probably do know and they had the same opinion and for me that's like that I don't get that, of course, because I work for a database. But I think the problem there comes from the fact that when you actually run into these problems, you're already quite far in your application development. Typically, that's when a lot of users actually are starting to use your application. There are writes at the same time because, yeah, in your simple example, when you just store them in files, what happens if multiple people write at the same time? Things that you have to think about and... What is it going to do if you index things, which is then a separate file and you write at the same time and that index has to change as well? Things like that, you have to deal with that. And in how you deal with that, well, that determines the quality of your database. And I would actually say if you're picking a database and you don't know a lot about databases, take a look at Jepson.io, which is someone who breaks databases for a living and look around for horror stories about databases. Because typically what happens, and I actually have an analogy in the blog series I write about this, typically what happens is you start, everything goes fine, you have a lot of users, everything still goes fine, suddenly you get a massive amount of attention, your application explodes, and then suddenly you have bottlenecks, you have errors, you don't know where they came from, and at that point... What are you going to do with all these new users? Are you going to go through the extremely difficult exercise to keep your application running while you change the database? At that point, it's often too late. So that's why it's very important to know what your database is and how it behaves and what guarantees it provides. And Fauna takes a very, very strong stance there and says like, you shouldn't worry about consistency and things. So we provide the strongest consistency form. 
you shouldn't worry about replicating your data. So we do that for you. And we try to make it as easy as possible so you can't shoot yourself in the foot. It's the same with indexes. In Fauna, you require an index before you can actually query. Although people find that sometimes hard and not developer-friendly, you can't write a query that is inefficient by doing that. And that's basically the idea behind Fauna. Make sure that you don't run into these problems in production. When I was first learning to code, when people would talk about databases, it was always like this huge complicated thing that you shouldn't touch or mess with or even think about too much because it's just like, ooh, it's the database. And I think that kind of like connotation is what leads to a lot of developers not feeling very comfortable with databases. And you're right that you have to kind of get into the actual internals of them to understand how they work because you're going to have different ways of querying it and different guarantees of how reliable it's going to be. You mentioned Jepson. I love the whole series of Jepson posts. It's really fascinating because he shows that we expect all of our databases to save our data. You think that that would be the first thing that your database should do for you just by setting that criteria, not every database meets it. So I think about it as data loss being the first level and then the next level being like, how do you query it? How do you get the data out of it? And then the bigger level being how nice is it to actually work with the database, the whole developer experience thing. For example, the analogy I used was a real story. I actually, uh, at a certain moment, lent my bike to my best friend, but I worked on that bike just before I lent it. Uh, my friend tried to lift his wheel and I didn't bolt the wheel. So I didn't fix the wheel. The wheel went out and he fell extremely hard. If I would have let that bike be tested by a technician, then that would have been, not been happening. If I would know something about the bike and test it, then that wouldn't have happened. And the worst thing is, if that actually happens, if you compare it to the bike, you have hundreds of clients actually being reliable of you riding your bike as it should be. So... If you fail with your database because you don't realize there's a problem with it and you fail at a certain moment when it's too late, all these clients go down with you. A lot of these problems happen when you start using it and start having more customers and it grows. It's one of these things where you can make a decision at the start, but is it the right decision later? One of the questions that I want to ask, and I've had some experience with this lately myself, is it too late? Could you easily move from something like Postgres to FaunaDB? I think that personally, changing a database in an application is always, always hard. I don't think it's ever easy, and I don't... Actually, if you would have used Prisma, it might have been easy. But even changing between two databases, like... Going from Postgres to MySQL, I actually worked for a company called Cumidio, which is an analytics company and has plugins on different databases. Writing a plugin for two different SQL databases, there are often other caveats that you have to take into account. So it's never easy, especially that their, their guarantees are often also not the same. They work slightly different and just different enough that you have to change quite a few things. Changing from a SQL to a NoSQL database will obviously be a bit more work. But if you then choose a database that also provides relations and provides the guarantees that you actually need from that SQL database, then you're going to have a much less harder time uh, going to a scalable database like Fauna than going to something else that doesn't provide these same guarantees. 
the reason I bring up importing and exporting data, I built a MVP of Everfund, and that used Prisma 1 that was backed into MongoDB. Everyone still says MongoDB is really good, so I just picked that, so that's fine. And then when Prisma 2 came out, they were like, yeah, we got no MongoDB support. So I was like, ooh, I guess I'll use Postgres then, because Prisma's pretty good. Recently, we was like, yeah, we need to move all that data to the new database. This is going to be hard. So this probably not the right way the best way or the fastest way these were the steps i did i exported the whole collection from mongo fed it all in to an api like a cli tool that sorted it merged all the things into objects and then wrote a massive seed file that just spat it all into the new database through prisma 2 probably not the best way to do it but it worked I've seen a lot of ETL scripts and they're, typically they're, it's never the best way. <laughs> I'm happy to say I do not understand databases, but they're so important. Prisma 2 is gaining so much popularity because they're making it so easy to spin up a database, put the correct syntax and structure together, and then read and write data. And not only that. As an application, as a framework developer, as Anthony can probably say as well, having Prisma, having one API and suddenly supporting many databases is quite awesome, right? That's like dividing the work by tenfold probably and dividing them in, not having to maintain all these different database connectors. Here's the problem that I'm going to see with Prisma too. Let's take the perfect world. FaunaDB gets added. MongoDB gets added. CockroachDB, whoever, and then you're going to have a table saying which one to pick. Can the developer be trusted to make the right choice for the right use case? How is that problem different than what is already happening now? Imagine that the, the only difference is that all of them have the same query API, right? But now they don't, and they still have to pick between database A and database B. I think a big factor of what developers pick is a query API. I would argue that that's the wrong motivation to choose a database because the query API says nothing about the reliability of the database. So what I actually would think that having Prisma in front of them, what is left to choose is basically what guarantees that they provide. Do they scale? Do you have like built-in security? Are they consistent? If you write something, are you going to read the same that you just wrote? And I would argue that that's a good motivation to choose a database and not the query API. My next big question, devil's advocate here, hosted, managed, slash self-hosted and self-managed. I think personally that Fauna is a service. The reason why we chose completely managed is because people are just not good at keeping a scalable distributed multi-region database online and that's basically the service we are providing to our customers we are providing a service that we are guaranteeing that your service will stay online and that we will scale it for you and in that sense it doesn't really make sense to manage such a service yourself we do provide a docker image for example and 
you could use that for development purposes, but you shouldn't use that for a production application because you can't put multiple nodes in there. A lot of users actually ask, can I run this myself? Because one day maybe Fauna might go away and in that case I can continue running Fauna. But I would argue that then all the advantages that you had with running Fauna just go away and it will be extremely difficult for you to manage that yourself. I think many people still see the benefit of managing things themselves, but that will go away eventually. I don't think these problems that are every time the same, that we want to solve these over and over again. And I've been in this situation where I was actually helping to keep up different kinds of databases that many clients use. To be honest, it's something that takes a lot of time and is extremely stressful to do and extremely difficult to do because you need deep knowledge of your database. If you're going to run, let's say, Cassandra yourself and you're going to make sure that it always keeps up, make sure you understand every detail of how Cassandra works because at a certain moment you're going to have a problem. And that is exactly the reason why People who started Fauna, Evan and Matt, who originally came from Twitter, started Fauna. It's one of the reasons, at least, because they had personal experience doing that. And they thought that at a certain moment, these things will get better. It will get either easier to manage or they will manage it for us. They hoped we would get consistent databases that offered relations that also all didn't happen. At least not the scalable distributed kind uh, didn't provide these things. So they decided to build their own. So they're providing that service to you so you don't have to do it yourself. Actually, my question was wrong. There's technically three tiers. There's self-hosted, hosted, and hosting as a service. Fauna would fall into hosting as a service. Exactly. Hosted would be, I'm going to run an image on DigitalOcean. And then self-hosted is the Wild West. I would actually say there are four. I would say self-hosted is like you have your machine in your basement and you're going to host your database on that. I, I would argue that almost nobody still does that. Like Then you have hosted, which is what you described. But then you have another kind of hosted, which is, let's say Dynamo, for example, will spin up resources specifically for you at the moment you create something. I think... A few databases do that. There are actually databases as a service, but they do spin up specific resources and you can see specific things about that. It's a bit like, in Dynamo's case, it's not the case, but some databases, they work more like Heroku would work. You see that there is one instance of something that automatically is spawned for you and does your thing. And you can say, like, I want three instances. Sometimes that translates in read operations that you want to say, I want to have, like, thousand read operations capability or something like that and fauna is like the most service you can go in the sense that we don't limit you in we don't ask you to specify i want this amount of servers i want this amount of read operations it's just a service and it you start working with it create a database and it starts scaling for you but we don't even create specific resources behind your back if you sign up for cloud it's just a multi-tenant system from the ground up, which also allows us to use these resources more efficiently. The biggest reason to self-host or host or go higher is probably money. So how does Fauna... Uh, come again? How does Fauna what? Free tier to, to get started. 
Yeah, I didn't understand the question at all. Sorry. Because it's not really a question. He's asking, is fauna expensive or not? Which, of course, you're going to say, yeah, fauna is like ridiculously expensive and you should never spend money on it. <laughs> okay. No, I was going to say, I'll rephrase that. Sorry. Self-hosting it in your basement is free. You know, what could go wrong? But then going up a level, you're then paying DigitalOcean to manage it. You're then giving your man hours to maintain it. And that costs money. Where does Fauna sit on the scale for man hours and how much it costs as it scales? Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's always a trade-off between am I going to invest the man hours, which a startup usually does to save costs on infrastructure. And then as they grow, they start realizing that they can't maintain it and then they move to services more or less. Where Fauna sits basically is that it takes away all your operational needs and that includes like replicating your data which is extremely hard especially if you want to keep your data consistent you've mentioned postgres a while back and that's quite funny because i just had an article sent to me like from someone that actually uses postgres and lists like the 10 most common pains with postgres and something that is in there is when you start replicating data, it becomes extremely complex to get it right. It also is no, no longer consistent. So if you want it consistent, there are tricks for that. And people go to extreme lengths to actually use their SQL database, distribute it multi-region and still keep it consistent. Some people actually invest a lot of work to implement the terms themselves. Well, all that work is going to take a lot of time. And are you going to get that right? What validation do you have that your work is actually working properly and especially at scale, that is the work that we take away from you. And it's also work, as I mentioned, that is tested by Jepson who tests these kind of systems for a living. Fauna sits on the, the highest tier that you can get as a service, so it takes away a lot of time in terms of price. I definitely don't think that Fauna is one of the most expensive databases. That's totally not the case. Because as I said, the fact that we can that is built as a multi-tenant system from the ground up, we can actually optimize much more than most databases can because most databases are going to spin up specific resources for a specific client and that will make sure that there's a lot of overhead. And also make sure that if you start to scale up, maybe those resources are not scaled up in time. Well, if you can amortize that due to having many users, you can offer a better price. In terms of price, there's actually a comparison with Dynamo that was just released. One of our founders, he wrote it himself so and tested out a lot of different approaches. You could say there, for example, that Dynamo is cheaper when you start, but once your application gets more complex and you need more features, then Fauna will take over and become cheaper, which is typically what happens in many uh, comparisons that we see. It's really interesting that man hours and time spent managing is really expensive that people do not think about. You'll talk to your friend, maybe you'll say, oh, I'm, I'm looking at getting a database. They'll go, ah, just go with Postgres. Facebook use them. And you go, one of the biggest tech companies ever use it. No problem, sold. But then you have to think how much money are they spending on maintaining it, doing all these replications, and it's a real hard one. It's also a funny argument because a company like that doesn't use one database. 
typically <laughs> they use many databases uh, and i actually had uh, a similar story where someone said we should use this technology because uh, this company uses it insert famous company and then i said uh, actually no they used to use it and now apparently they are extremely negative about it and that's the problem of our time right as technology is accelerating so fast that we can't follow up we just can't keep up. It's impossible to know everything that's out there. On top of that, you have well-done marketing. And I'm saying well-done because it's their job to promote the positive points of a product. And many are doing everything they can to hide the negative points. I think actually at Fauna, and that's why I love to work at Fauna, we don't hide the negative points. We are always pretty honest about the things that are not working well at the moment or what we're not suitable at. And then, of course, if you have that missing information, then the only thing we can do is look at other people who are famous and have done something and see whether they failed or succeeded. Then what you don't know, of course, is whether they have a vested interest to work with that specific technology. So we will always make the wrong choices unless we research things or look at independent people. As I mentioned, Jepson is a perfect example of people to actually look at what they are saying about technology and, and read up. Before you may want to commit to using it in a large-scale application, you may want to build your own side project with it. What's really good about Forno is that it has a free tier you can get going without paying a penny. How, How feasible is it to write something that runs on the free tier? Exactly. Not just feasible. I mean, like, generous. How generous is the Forno free tier? Could you build a whole, you know, side app with it? Well, I, I don't think this question is a coincidence because we just recently changed our pricing. You're probably aware of that. And we used to be extremely generous, but the free tier is essentially meant to develop and not run in production. It's priced in such a way that you can easily develop and I've actually never run over the free tier during my time at Fauna developing sample applications. I didn't even get close, but it's not meant to run in production. If you run in production, you will easily go over the free tier. And then we would advise you, of course, to take the, the smallest plan that is available to get started. Of course, the development, if it's pure about development, you can also use the Docker image, of course. Just to give a comparison, you have three main tiers and custom tiers for enterprise. You have individual team and business. Looking at them stats, how much I pay for my Postgres database, I sit in the middle of individual and team. Do you feel that it's a gradual process upwards as your application grows? I'm not sure whether I understand what you mean with it's a gradual process upwards. As you go from individual to team to business, for example. Well, let's say that... In your case, you will never go to a team license because you're not a team. And the main feature that is different there is that it provides team management and extra features like third-party authentication, things like that. The only reason for you to go up will be like, I want support. I want to make sure that my support queries are prioritized. I want to start a team. Other people are coming in and I'm not comfortable sharing my accounts. In that case, you want to go up. I would assume that you will stay a solo developer for a while on your personal application. So then it doesn't make sense to actually go up unless you need a feature. And you will just be pay as you go from the moment you go over to your budgets. 
so it's actually a gradual increase, yeah, because it's metered usage from the moment you go over the $25 of budget. Price is one of the things you think about. Postgres databases are priced per minute, I think it is. Is it second or minute? Per minute per machine, I assume, depending on where you host. Per minute per machine, somewhere like DigitalOcean. I think I spend about £50 in the UK money. Mm -hmm. The main reason for that, we had to host our data inside the UK. Free tiers on things like Postgres are limited to free regions of DigitalOcean. Yeah, and, and, and tiny machines probably. Yes. I'm sure Anthony has loads of other questions that he wanted to ask. I would say one more thing, though, that you're sitting in between $50 a month for your Postgres database. Well, the thing is, you probably don't have replication for that. You don't have multi-region. If you try to ask a load from the database that it can't handle, then you have a problem. And these are the things that we provide as a service, basically. So you can't really compare it easily. I would say that if you're going to max out your Postgres database and, and use it as efficiently as possible, you will be cheaper off. But of course, you're not prepared for all these disaster scenarios. So that's the trade-off there. This conversation is making me sweat. <laughs> <laughs> it's making me think, have I made a bad choice? Is it too late to change? It depends on whether you're going to hit that moment where suddenly a lot of users are suddenly starting to querying. And depending on how your query patterns are, it all depends. My application is a fintech application. Uh -huh. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> I would assume that that's a kind of a domain where you would actually value the guarantees that Fauna provides very highly. So I would assume that's a good idea to look into that. Although Postgres is a great database, you know, uh, it does provide solid guarantees. Only if you're going to be responsible of making sure that if things go wrong, that you reinstantiate the database as it used to be. If you're going to accept that if your application is down, that nobody can write to it. If your one database is down, I mean, we've done one database machine is down that nobody can write to it. It depends on what guarantees you want. If you're able to accept that, then I assume you're fine. My final point, like I said at the beginning, what do I care about and not care about? And this is where I will get scared very fast is when something goes wrong. And that's why I say I'm sweating. After having this conversation, it's kind of like, why aren't you using Fauna? It's a paradox, in, actually. You're looking for the best developer experience, but while doing that, you're actually setting yourself up for the worst developer experience after X time. So it's actually funny how, how, we, how we work. I mentioned that I wrote the, the series. If you look for consistent backends and UX on CSS tricks, then you'll find those. We'll put all these links in the show notes as well. Awesome, cool. I'd just like to talk a little bit about kind of what some of the new things Fauna has been working on and adding. I know some stuff that you guys have recently been rolling out have been things around authentication and authorization, and then some stuff around real-time streaming, which is a bit of a Weasley term, so we'll define that a little more clearly also. But yeah, that's kind of what I'm curious to hear about. <laughs> Always happy when people try to define terms that are fuzzy because we have way too many fuzzy terms in computer science. We've recently indeed delivered a number of features. One that you didn't mention is Teams, so you can actually work in a team on your application and share your database with multiple people. 
the third party authentication, what that is, is basically what an API should do. And that is integrate easily with other APIs. And basically what you can do there is use a third party JAL token, let's say from Alt0 or Okta to directly access the, the database, which is pretty cool because normally you have to take in the token in your backend and you have to transform that to a database token. Actually, you can now completely write your security rules in Fauna based on the contents of that token, which actually eliminates a lot of work you have to do there. The streaming, what we now provided is push-based streaming. And what I mean by that is that basically from the moment you're going to change something in the database, you will get a notification of that change in your thing that is listening. So for example, your clients, it's great for UI redraws and things like that. And what it's not doing in the backend is polling all the time. So it's not asking the database, was there a change, was there a change, was there a change? Because if you do that, at a certain moment, you will it will become very expensive if you want to get like super low latency streaming, then that's not going to work because you're going to waste resources all the time. So it's really a subscription-based thing. So you subscribe to something, it's HTTP2 features behind the scenes to actually stream the data directly to you. Currently, that's only working on documents. So you can open multiple streams on multiple documents and you get updates and creates on the documents, but you can't say, give me everything that is added to this collection, for example, which is, of course, an extra level of usefulness. And that is coming on the next parts. That's... For what we just delivered, of course, I already said what we are going to deliver in the future. We're going to continue on streaming, meaning that we're going to offer collection streaming uh, or let's say streaming of the result of an index, which is also more useful in the sense that you query something, you get the initial results, and then you get updates of things that actually arrive later, updates or new data that is created on the fly by other users which significantly simplifies developing a UI. Our main goal for 2021 is to actually focus on developer experience because currently we have our main idea was provide all the building blocks and all the power you need as a developer and developers will compose these things and put them together. Although that works for some developers, other developers really want higher level features. So we want to work on the developer experience in the sense that some queries, let's say select all or select all where, these kind of queries are typically queries that you're going to do immediately when you select the database and start testing it. And these kind of queries should probably become more higher level features so that the language for some specific uh, things that come back often becomes more easy. And that you still get access to the low-level power of our Fauna query language, but you do get those more high-level powerful functions. We also hope to integrate more with GraphQL, make our GraphQL better, and make sure that you, for example, would be able to say, this specific part in the GraphQL resolver process, I want to override that with an FQL function and completely customize this, and then continue GraphQLing on the result set of that. These are things that we want to do. We also have other things that often come back, feature requests. I'm not certain yet whether we will focus on those, but those are things like webhooks, full text searching, then bringing subscriptions to GraphQL. And of course, we intend to f continue focusing on adding new regions 
focusing on the scalability and improving the overall system. So basically making users more productive and making it less painless to actually work with scalable data. Yeah, it's cool. I find the differences between the FQL and the GraphQL stuff to be really interesting because, you know, they're both kind of generic languages for, for both querying and writing data, but they're so different. And it's interesting to see how you can kind of mix and match them. And what you were saying about extending FQL, I feel like that's something the language is already like super set up to do being really functional and how you guys can create like your user defined functions. It basically just sounds like Fauna has to write a couple more like really, really good user defined functions that like everyone can kind of use and that are like conventions that we can align on. Yeah, indeed, we could actually just write a few libraries, which some users already did with higher level functions and, and approaches like that. But of course, we want to make sure that these are baked into the system so everyone can use these uh, more easily and get these by default without installing a library. But you're right, it's already set up to do that. So that was literally going to be my last last question as like, this is the seller to me. How do you talk to Fauna? To what I understand, currently, it's a GraphQL API and you don't have like a JavaScript library like Prisma does, for example. No, that's not entirely correct. And I would actually say it's not a GraphQL API. It's a database which happens to have a GraphQL API to address it as well. But the primary way to access Fauna is uh, using the Fauna native query language, which we call FQL, like the Fauna query language. What is cool about FQL, as Anthony actually mentioned, is it's super functional and that allowed us to easily take a GraphQL query and then translate that behind the scenes to an FQL query, which is super hard to do in SQL, for example, or in another query language. In FQL, it was actually relatively easy and exactly because of the same reasons which I mentioned before, which is that we are super good at the tree walking problem. So basically, FQL was first, and then we actually provide the GraphQL interface, which generates a bunch of things for you, and then automatically tr query, uh, translates these GraphQL queries to FQL. That means you get the same guarantees for the database, which is pretty cool because most GraphQL providers do completely different things. They do multiple queries to the database where you already lose the consistency advantage. But let's not go too much into detail there. But the fact that you translate GraphQL to FQL makes things possible, as I just said, that you actually can override a specific part of the, that process in theory. Now you can override, let's say, a complete GraphQL query with an FQL query and then say, this is not going to be automatically generated. I'm going to write this resolver in FQL. That's already possible. What I'm imagining is at a certain moment, you would just say, I start writing a GraphQL query, and then I'm going to say this part of that GraphQL query that I'm writing, I'm going to customly write in FQL, and I'm going to just insert that. Since it's like functional composition, in theory, you would be able to just insert an FQL query inside that GraphQL query, which would be the perfect hybrid between having something that's super usable that everyone knows like GraphQL and then have an extremely powerful language to extend it where, however you want. So the FQL, that can be called in JavaScript? Yes. So it's kind of like a Prisma 2 client? Um, I, I wouldn't so say... So the, the way it works, you're importing it and you can write 
FQL queries in JavaScript, but you're just writing FQL queries inside your JavaScript code. And the queries are exactly the same and you just kind of like stick a queue in front of it. So that's referencing the Fauna client. You're really, no matter what, you're still just writing FQL, even though you have like a JavaScript library. So you can put it in your JavaScript code. It's really, it's really still just FQL. Every driver is different in the sense that we try to make the language as natively possible to feel natively. Yeah, we, we provide some features of the host language to make it feel more like it's written in the host language. But in essence, FQL is a bunch of functions. And these functions are exposed by a library. It could be, for example, the JavaScript uh, library. And you're going to just do function composition to construct your query. I have so many thoughts to think about. <laughs> I think I need to like seriously go away and think about this. But let's say in most JavaScript drivers for that insert random database, you will go like db.collection.create.something, right? In Fauna, it will work more like you specify a collection, then you wrap another function around that collection, then you wrap another function around that collection. So it's just a different paradigm in programming. Well, does that mean we're going to stay that way? Actually, that's not certain because many people actually prefer the first way. So we might end up with going closer to that. So because of many users are actually asking for that experience. Like one of the things I like about Prisma 2 is how predictable it is. As soon as you obviously pick your object, you can do find one, find many, delete, and that never is going to change. FQL seems a bit more fluid at this current state. As someone who's not looked at, at the FQL library yet, but I'm going to. From the moment we have a solid Rust driver, then it should be trivial to actually provide a Prisma client. So maybe that will be the, the day where you will be convinced to actually use Fauna as a, your production database. I think Prisma is working on data migration as well. If there was a Rust driver and Prisma could do the migration, would it make my job easy? Hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, need, I need to think about this. I, I have so many thoughts now that are worrying. They're just very worrying. Isn't it a mix like worrying and exciting at the same time? Do you have anything else you wanted to say before we close out here? Any um, links you want to give or just kind of final words for the listeners? Um, no, I, there is nothing specific I want to say. I want to thank you to invite me here. And I think this, this conversation has been uh, super interesting for me as well. So uh, thank you for having me. Where can our subscribers find you? I'm Databrecht at Twitter. So that's the best way to find me. And else, uh, if you want to contact me via one of the official Fauna channels, like there's community.fauna.com where you can find our forums and our Slack channel. Thank you so much for joining us. And I, I'm glad that while databases can be this real complex black box, we kind of took a different path and took it back to its basics to a certain extent. Thanks a lot. Have a good one.